Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. This week's sermon message is Forgive Us Our Debts. And it made me think about the first time I recited this here at Beatitudes, like three years ago when I started the job and everything was uncomfortable and a little weird. And I thought my little Lutheran self said, I don't know if I can do this. But then you started to recite the Lord's Prayer. And I thought, I know this one. I got it. And things are going along really smoothly until we got to the fourth line. And so with a little gusto, I belted out, forgive us our trespasses. And the rest of y'all said debts. And I went, oh, it's one of those churches. Okay, sorry. So which is it? Is it debts or is it trespasses? And if it is debts, is it a financial debt? Is it a moral debt? And what is a trespass anyway? So my thinking was that Jesus maybe was just expounding on the idea of forgiveness, no matter the phrase. Today's scripture certainly backs that up. As you listen, I want you to think about your own preference and what this particular line means to you. What exactly should we keep in mind while praying this? Today's scripture is Matthew 6, 14 to 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This last week, I performed a funeral. And at the graveside, the family at the last moment asked me if we would be able to repeat the Lord's Prayer. When that happens, I immediately begin to think in my mind the same phenomena that happened to Janelle that she just described. I begin to think about it myself. Are these people debtors or are they transgressors? So as we came to that part in the prayer where it says, and forgive us our, I said it very quietly just to make sure, debtors, and I paused. I paused long enough to allow the transgressors to catch back up. And that became the way that we prayed that prayer. Now, we could spend this time together and talk about the difference, why it is that some translation have the word debtors, and others have the word transgressors. We could talk about that. But there's far more meaning, as interesting as that is, there's far more meaning if we actually look at that line itself. As we mentioned in the very first sermon that we did in this series, one of the things we pointed out is that it is very unlikely that Jesus actually taught this prayer to his disciples. And one of the ways we know that is the difference that exists between just Matthew and Luke. They both have different ways in which they word the Lord's Prayer. But what's interesting is that if we look at the possibility that each of these lines 
may have been prayed by Jesus as a very distinct prayer by itself. So if we look at the line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, if we consider just that line, then we can imagine that Jesus may have actually prayed those words. It's very likely that he could have. So what did it mean? There are those individuals who believe that Matthew and what is called the Gospel of Q, which is a collection of sayings of Jesus, it doesn't actually exist. It's created because of the similarities that we find in Jesus' sayings between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But if you look at those and you pay attention, you begin to realize that it's very likely that what Jesus was talking about is captured in the Gospel of Matthew. If you look at that wording in Matthew chapter 6, and if you look at verse 12, it gives us a really good idea of what Jesus might have meant. Because the text says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now here's the question. Two words that we need to look at. First of all, to forgive. The word literally means to either release or remit something. That can be either a monetary or a non-monetary object. So you could forgive someone a something. So if I owe you something, you could forgive that and I wouldn't owe it. The other possibility is if I have wronged you, then I could release you from that wrong. So that word forgive actually allows us to have both ideas together. What about the word debts or debtors? It's exactly the same. It actually has both ideas. Literally, it means a debt, something that I owe you. For example, if I owed you a bushel of corn because I, we had traded for oil, then that would be a debt that I owe you. If I was a farmer and I could not meet my expenses in the time of the first century, then I might borrow money from an individual who has wealth. I would owe them money. If I couldn't pay it back and I ended up having to go into debt slavery, that's the word. I would owe you, and because I can't pay you, then I become your slave and I have to work it off. But the word also, debts, can have this figurative sense of when our behavior is less than ideal. And when we do something to someone that is offensive, that could be considered a wrong, a debt. So when you look at the text in Matthew, more than likely, if Jesus spoke these words that we find in this line or something like them, what we're looking at is the possibility that Jesus was talking about monetary debt, something that you actually owed another person. Well, how do we know this? Well, when we go back and look at the first century, one of the things we discover is that there was a great deal of poverty. And with poverty comes debt. In fact, 
there is the possibility that there was such a hostile environment between the wealthy and the poor that that may have been the motivating factor that caused the revolt or what is called the Jewish War between 66 and 70 CE or the Common Era. In fact, we know this because Josephus says the following. The victors, in describing the war, he said, the victors burst in and set fire to the house of Ananias, the high priest. Then, notice what happens. They next carry their combustibles to the public archives, eager to destroy the money lenders' bonds and to prevent the recovery of debts. And why did they do this? In order to win over a host of grateful debtors and to cause a rising to, of the poor against the rich. So apparently there was this hostile environment between the super wealthy and the poor. And the majority of the people were poor. They were in debt. And so those who decided, now we've had enough of this, they decided that, number one, who was responsible was one of the religious leaders. And then number two, one of the things we'll do is we'll go in and we will destroy all the parchments that have a record of this debt. And then the people will know that no one can collect their debt anymore, and they will have the courage to stand up against the wealthy. So it's very, very likely that when Jesus spoke this line, he had in mind something to do about monetary debt. But it didn't remain that way. Because by the time that Luke writes his gospel, Luke already is introducing something different. Look to what Luke says in the Lord's Prayer as recorded in chapter 11. It says the following, And forgive us our sins. Not debts. Sins. A totally different word. But Luke isn't willing to just completely make it figurative. So he adds the next line, For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. So it's almost like Luke is saying, I'm going to test out the water and see how this feels. What would happen if I added a figurative element into it, but not completely? I got to keep people somewhat happy. And that's why we have this different reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now, where it really gets interesting is when we come to Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. The Lord's Prayer ends in Matthew chapter 6 with verse 13. Matthew now adds a commentary to this particular line. It's almost as Matthew says, this is probably what Jesus said, but it needs to be explained. It's on. So people will really understand what it means. Notice again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, what the writer says. For if, 
don't skip over that word too quickly. If, conditional, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, notice the word shift. It's no longer debtors. This word is far more figurative in its meaning than the word for debt is. So while the word debt leans toward the monetary side, this word leads toward the figurative side of an action or words that you would, be that you would speak or actions that you would do. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. Two things to notice about this commentary that the writer tacked on to the prayer. Number one, it's conditional. You want to be forgiven? Forgive. Number two, the writer in this commentary has completely taken this idea of debtors, of a monetary debt that you owe someone, and has made it completely figurative. And so we see this shift begin to take place. What's interesting is that here in the 21st century, we much prefer this idea of forgiveness being something that we did wrong. We ask God, forgive us. That's what the prayer tends to lean toward. But I would like you to think about the possibility that maybe that original meaning is still applicable for today. Because when you stop and think about it, what it's like right now in the 21st century is very close to what it's like in the, what it was like in the first century. Poverty continues to exist. Debt continues to exist. In fact, in the last 30 years, we have seen a rise in debt because of the inflation that has taken place. You could, we could talk about medical costs and how the cost of medical care continues to rise. We could talk about the cost of homes. Right now here in Arizona, it's like being on a roller coaster. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, prices went like this, and then they plummeted. Now we're seeing them doing this again. And now it's wondering, is it going to continue to go up? Is it going to plateau? And if it plateaus, will it slowly rise or will it crash again? And not only that, but because of the shortage of houses, rent is going up like crazy. More and more individuals cannot even afford a place to live. But the one that really amazes me is college education. Listen to this. Students at a public four-year institution, public, 
paid an average of $3,200 in tuition in 1987 and 1988. That's what it would cost you to go to school. $3,200. I mean, $3, now fast forward to 2017, 30 years. The average has risen to $10,000 in 30 years from 32 to 10,000. That, and, and that is figuring in inflation. That's an increase of 213% for education. Let me break that down for you. If we were to put these numbers in perspective, it would be the following. In 1988, a graduate of Harvard University would have spent right around $17,000 on tuition. That was 30, 000, That was 30 years ago. $17,000 a year. Now, this same person is in their 50s. And if they want to pay to have their child go to Harvard, they have to come up with $45,000 a year for their child to get that same education. $17,000 to $45,000. Aren't we glad that the medium income has increased by 200% over the last 30 years? You know as well as I do, it hasn't. The cost of living continues to go up, and our income is very, very slow. And because of that, individuals who want to go to school have only one option, borrow money. Either their parents are borrowing it, or they're borrowing it, or both of them are borrowing it. The average graduate right now is leaving college with $32,000 in debt. That's the average. That's public school and private school. $32,000 when they leave and get their diploma, and there's no guarantee that they'll have a job. We are in the same situation. The same situation that Jesus was dealing with, we're dealing with now, and that's poverty and debt. Well, what would happen if we took Jesus's, that one line, literally? What would happen? Well, first of all, we can't take it too literal because what Jesus was talking about and how debt worked back then and how it was structured is completely different than it is today. Back then, if you needed money, you would go to an individual. Today, we have to go to institutions. We have to go to banks. So imagine walking into that bank and saying to them, oh, by the way, would you repeat the Lord's Prayer with me? And you come to that line, and let's keep our fingers crossed that they use the word debtors just like you are. And then they say, forgive us our debts. And then you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Really? 
Are you willing to forgive my debt? So what is, the, is this even possible? Here's another question for you. If we're looking at debt, would our economy fall apart if we were to forgive part of, not all, but part of individuals' debt? If the government was to step in or banks were to say, we will forgive this part of your debt, would that devastate our economy? Now, I am not an economist. That's not my training. But I do follow the news. And over the last couple decades, twice, we have forgiven debts. We called them bailouts. And we didn't bail out individuals. We bailed out companies. And you and I are paying for that. Now, there's a theory behind that, I'm sure. The idea that if you allow these companies to go under, that all of us will be hurt. But would we? It seems that we forgave those debts and the economy continues to move forward. So is it possible that we could forgive individual debts or at least part of those? Now, here's my second question, should we? I mean, let's just be honest with each other. Some people make really, really poor decisions when it comes to money. And the reason they're in debt is because of those poor decisions. I mean, these are individuals who will spend a ton of money on one expense and neglect these other expenses that eventually are going to come due. So because of their ineptitude, should we actually bail them out? Should we forgive their debts? Or should we just teach them a lesson, you know? Make them learn. Bring the stick out. Susan Wilcox, who is the director of campus ministry at St. Joseph's College in Brooklyn, she says the following. You don't enter debt alone. It's relational and communal. One in seven Americans are in debt. One in seven. Look around. More than likely, you're going to find a percentage of us here currently in debt. One in seven. And then she says the following. How is it that all of us happen to mismanage our money at the same time? So this idea that somehow all debt is eventually taken back to people making bad choices, she says it doesn't fly. She says it's part of a system. But then the last question we should consider, let's just be honest, this isn't gonna work. 
right? We're not going to be able to forgive people's debts. So we shouldn't even be thinking about it. Or can it work? Recently, there have been churches, even Southwest Conference was a part of this. You see, what happens is if if a bank holds a certain amount of debt, what they will do is they'll turn around and they will sell that debt at a cheaper rate to get it off their books. And so what they do is they sell that debt to another institution And then that institution will buy it for a cheaper amount, and then they'll pass on the savings to us, right? Wrong. They're going to use that debt, and they're going to keep us paying them out, and then they're going to make money off of that. Well, what has happened is there have been churches and other nonprofit institutions who said, you know what, why don't we, why don't we buy that debt? and then forgive it. Millions, literally millions of medical costs and indebtedness have been forgiven because of people and institutions who are saying, we need to help each other. You see, the situation we're in right now, it just didn't happen. This isn't natural. The situation we're in right now is because we chose it. Augustine Fuentes, who spent a great deal of time looking at evolution and how it impacts different aspects of our life, he says the following, the economic systems we live in today are, you ready for this one? Human creations. This just didn't happen naturally. We created this on assumptions and beliefs that have developed over the past 500 to 1,000 years. We made them. We made the condition we find ourselves in today, just like they did in the first century. We made them, and we can change them. He goes on and says, What will economic landscape look like in the future? Will the desire or need for reduced inequality change our beliefs about the production, the consumption, the exchange, and distribution of goods and services? Or... Will the inertia of contemporary economics and their associated outcomes continue well into the future? I guess we have a decision to make. I know the easy decision. The easy decision is just to keep the Lord's prayer figuratively. Forgive me my sins, and I'll try my best to forgive other people of their sins. And then if I do that, then God will forgive me of my sins. And when it comes to debt and poverty, well, 
It's just, we'll pull on that Bible text where it says, the poor you'll always have with you, and that'll make us feel like, well, okay, that's the way it is. Or, we can really begin to ask ourselves, you know, the word Christian means to follow in the ways of Jesus. Hmm. So I wonder, if this idea that Jesus was serious about monetary debt was true for the first century, and here we are 2,000 years later, and we still say we're Jesus' followers, I wonder, I just wonder if we ought to think about what that could look like and what we could do now to make it happen. I don't know. Maybe you do. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio empowering people to enrich society.